Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast where comedians ask experts the questions you really ought to know the answers to at your big age, but don't. Today we're going to be asking almost insultingly basic questions about elections to political journalist and biographer Lewis Baston. Hello, Lewis. Hello, everyone. And today's idiots, who I can't believe don't know all this stuff already, are comedy writer Sarah Morgan, who has written Not Going Out on BBC One, The Wilson Save the World on Radio 4, and hosts the excellent podcast The Fear that I've been on. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> Hello, Danielle. And also... Comedy writer John Morris, whose best-known work is now the Ladybird Books for Grown-Ups, but also writes Agenda for Radio 4 and hosts the Rule of Three podcast that I have been on. We all do each other's podcasts now instead of going to the pub. Yeah, so it's, it's not enough work in comedy writing anymore. <laughs> to fill your days somehow. And uh, as we all know, no-one listens to the end of podcasts. If there's anything you'd like to plug, uh, I'm going to ask you to do it now. You can go out and buy The Wonderful World of Ladybird Books for Grown-Ups, which is the big coffee table book version of the Ladybird Books that's too big to fit in your toilet. Sarah? Uh, yes, as mentioned, I do a podcast called The Fear, about the overlap between comedy and horror. I interview funny people about what they're scared of. Lewis, do you have anything you'd like to plug? If anyone is a publisher or an agent and is interested in a book about borderlands, European borders, how weird it is to live in a place where another country starts the other side of the road, uh, get in touch. <laughs> Or if you're listening a couple of years from now, please buy my amazing book. Right, let's talk about elections. Lewis, who gets to call the election? Who does that? Is it is it the sitting person? Is it the opposition? Is it the Queen? Can we all fill out something on the lottery ballots? I mean, <laughs> because I'm really confused how this works. OK, I think a lot of people are confused at the moment because yes. it is technically the Queen. Is the it? Queen signs off on all, the proclama- <laughs> on all the pro- proclamations and stuff about it. Usually, before 2010, 2011, it was basically a power the Prime Minister had. Okay. The Prime Minister could call an election whenever they felt like when it. When they thought they'd win it. Exactly. Yeah. The rules changed a bit, and now it's over to Parliament, really, to call an election. Parliament needs to pass a resolution with a two-thirds majority in order to start a general election. Now, what tends to happen now is the Prime Minister still had the power, as we saw in 2017. Mm. Mm-hmm. Theresa May decided to call an election. Jeremy Corbyn had been saying, let's have an election for months. Yeah. So both Labour and Conservative voted for it. Very difficult to oppose having a new election. And there's a time limit of five years. Um, it happens automatically after five years, if nothing else uh, is changed. There is one tiny little get-out clause, like if we're 
in total war or something like this. I shudder to mention this as who knows it may happen and we may still have this parliament 10 years from now. But during the First World War and the Second World War, it went on. Uh, longer than the five years it should have done. So what, this, all this stuff about Jeremy Corbyn wants an election, mm-hmm. or, or does he? How can he force it? He can't force he it. He can't force it. You need two-thirds of the House of Commons, so it has to be a kind of collusive thing between the leader of the opposition and the Prime Minister. Now, oh. normally, if you're leading the opposition, you will vote to have an election, because what's the alternative? You say to the government... No, no, you guys carry on. You're doing fine. Yeah. We want you in power a bit longer. No opposition's going to do that. So it's effectively the, the leadership is still with the Prime Minister. If a Prime Minister wants to call an election, you have to have fairly odd circumstances for it not to happen. Like now? Jeremy Corbyn would go for it as well. I, I mean, it, it but, was... Sorry. Sorry. Is, is there at the moment a, a situation where Jeremy Corbyn can say he wants an election and enough of the Conservative Party would want that and Theresa May didn't want an election? Is that what they're trying to manoeuvre? It's technically possible. What they're trying to do is call an election by another route and that is to collapse the government. The idea is that there is this thing <laughs> called a vote of no confidence. Okay. And if the majority of the House of Commons votes for a motion that goes we have no confidence in the government the prime minister then has 14 days for a new government to be formed and to get out a, of what out of someone or other out oh, of star matter <laughs> yeah exactly we are talking about the coalescence of sort of primal <laughs> forces here and if it doesn't happen within the 14 days then the parliament fails and there's a general election then you don't need to get a two-thirds majority for that. You only need a majority of one. So the idea is that if we have some strange, dramatic circumstances, Theresa May wants a no deal uh, or something like that, yeah. then the idea is enough Conservatives might vote with the opposition in order to collapse the government to stop it happening. That's the strategy. Um, whether it works or not, I've, I mean, I'm probably going to be... F- Revealed to be an idiot by the time this goes out. We'll be in, well, it sounds <laughs> no, unlikely. We'll be in Thunderdomes with cars with spikes on by then. It's fine. It's really reassuring when everyone just goes, We don't really yeah. know. <laughs> also, I really like the idea that the way to get this democracy to work is to keep collapsing things and pulling them down on top of you, like sort of like the Hulk. <laughs> and did Theresa May have to call the election in 2017? Nope. A 100% her choice. Even though she hadn't been the Prime Minister who'd been elected, that was David Cameron. Yeah, sure. So she could have just ridden it out. Absolutely. She could have stayed until 2020 if she'd wanted to. She gambled on getting a better result in the 2017 election than David Cameron had done in 2015. And a sort of mandate. The idea was that there'd be some big Conservative majority, lots of new Conservative MPs who'd be really grateful to Theresa May for winning their seat for them and would do what she said. Didn't turn out that way, of course. And she was stuck with an even worse situation than David Cameron. But this is the thing about we elect MPs. We only elect our MP in our little patch. Mm -hmm. The Prime Minister is somebody kind of technically who's chosen by the MPs. So... Generally, when you switch prime minister midstream, you don't have another election. I mean, Gordon Brown and John Major both came in that way as well. So it was nothing unusual for May to come in in 2016 without an election. Mm -hmm. What was quite unusual was her messing it up quite so badly when she did go for an election. If she'd have lost her seat in that election, is she not allowed to be Prime Minister anymore? This has not been a situation which we've explored yet. Um, 
I mean, if anyone's going to lose their seat, it's her, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> she could probably manage, yes. Yeah, um, Rudd nearly lost her. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Brilliant. That was, that fun. was that could. I mean, I suppose you, it could happen if Amber Rudd became Prime Minister yeah. and then lost her seat. Yeah, let's run that through. Probably <laughs> she'd be, probably be, she'd be so incredibly embarrassed that she would resign as Prime Minister. Yeah. Well, I don't think Theresa May's ever been embarrassed. Tired? She's definitely yeah. been tired. She's been tired. You can see from her dancing that she has never been embarrassed. I, as I, I say, well, I hate things that talk about Apollogen's appearance because I think it, yeah. it drags us down to a level that we shouldn't be talking about and Trump's hair and fuck all that noise. But sorry, can I say that? Um, yeah. F all that noise. It's not the BBC. Uh, but... <laughs> Theresa May has been wearing the same mascara for two years and it really upsets me because she's just been applying the same strata of mascara over because she's so tired. She's been awake for such a long time and it really, really upsets me. So she should look like Susie Sue by now. Yeah, she she just, she looks like a person who needs to give her eight hours to catch up with some sleep and then start making decisions. I wouldn't be able to sleep if I were her. They used to say that about about, about Margaret Thatcher. She only had four hours sleep a night and think, oh, she's a powerhouse. No, she's just really, really, really unable to sleep because of what she done. All the terrible things going through her head. Yeah, when you've done bad things, you don't sleep. But what you're saying is technically, if someone, the leader of party, and for some reason they lost their seat, then they... They, they... they keep on being prime minister until somebody else comes in. And there was, believe it or not, there was, there were a couple of weeks in 1963 when the prime minister was not a member of the House of Commons. Wow. Um, what happened was... That was it they... Ringo Starr? <laughs> 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 I mean, anything was possible. Beatlemania at it. It was Sir Alec Douglas Hume, and he stepped down from the House of Lords. It was the first year you could step down from the House of Lords. And there was a complete circus about um, who should be Conservative leader and Prime Minister. And Alec Douglas Hume stood down from the Lords, so he didn't have a Commons seat. There was, fortunately for him, there was a vacancy in a safe Conservative seat in Scotland, which did used to be a thing, and he was put in as the candidate. So he was in the position of knocking on doors in um, Perthshire and saying, please vote for me, I'm your local candidate and Prime Minister. That's so <laughs> like, weird. Like Hugh Grant in Love, actually. The Prime Minister would knock on your door. Oh, simpler times. What if Theresa May decided to never call another election and you know she's thinking about it? <laughs> she just goes, you know what, I am not doing anything for ages. And she bats off all the no confidence votes. What happens on day five years? Does it literally just kickstart an election? Yes, it does, I think. The, the, <laughs> the only way round it really is to start a war. <gasps> well, I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> Would really they send so- the army in to get rid of it and prise her off the seat? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a war with us with another country? Yeah. Or just an in- uh, some sort of a civil, civil war. war? Well, that's, that's, oh, well, well, that's underway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the, it's the one thing. The House of Lords generally has little power. It can delay a bit or complain a bit. Yeah. One thing it really does have power over is that if the House of Commons wants to extend its term of office, yeah. the House of Lords has to agree to it which is what happened sort of after 1940 and after 1915 during the wars then. But short of that or short of appointing lots of people to the House of Lords so she has a majority and they'll vote to extend Parliament, that's how you... OK, you could theoretically create a dictatorship that way. But she, the Tories do have a majority in the House of Lords, don't they? They're the largest single party. They don't have an overall majority. Oh, OK. They're also... The sort of people who end up in the House of Lords tend to be kind of 
they tend to be old fashioned in sort of good ways or and bad ways. They don't like governments kind of cutting corners with the constitution. On the other hand, they're a bit reluctant about sort of, for instance, the new five P's. They're a bit yeah, small, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but, but theoretically, she could technically form a dictatorship like that. Just technically, Just with technically. a terracotta army of lords. <laughs> technically, yes, you would have to win a. You'd have to get a majority in the House of Commons all the time. Yeah. And you would have to stuff the House of Lords. It could be done. What might end up causing you problems is by-elections. Because if you keep their MPs there indefinitely, they'll start wandering off. They'll start dying. They'll start getting other jobs, etc. Mm. So there'll be by-elections every now and then. And eventually the by-elections will probably get rid of your majority. And uh, you'll be defeated just, in Parliament. Just, That's checks and balances, though. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> people all you die. Need. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> the Grim Reaper, the great checker and balance. <laughs> that is where we are with politics. Can I just Someone dies. <laughs> many people vote? Oh, I mean, you don't have to be like really specific. Okay, don't just, want their just, names. Yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> <Aronson. laughs> About 30 million people vote in general elections. Okay. Is that less than half? That's, that's we about two thirds. We didn't we? <laughs> We're trying to work out how many it was, yeah. yeah. You, the electorate is about 45 million people right. and turnout is about two thirds of that. So it's it's thirty million ish voting person. Yeah, I, that surprised mm-hmm. me. I, I assumed I it was seven lower. People, but yeah, people, me and my mates. people like make out is not very many. Mm. And and what was the percentage during the referendum? Referendum was a little higher at seventy two percent. I think turned out in the referendum. Was that attracting the big red button? Screw everything constituency it, more than an election would do. By all accounts, it was that there were people who didn't vote usually who turned out for that one and then didn't turn out again a year later. One of the things that's really difficult if you're trying to do opinion polling in elections now, it used to be the case sort of 50 years ago, everyone voted, unless there was some really good reason why not. Now you've got, if you're taking a poll, you've got to try and work out who's actually going to vote and who doesn't. Because people, when they're asked by a pollster, are you going to vote? Yes, of course I'm going to vote. And and they don't, or at least some of them don't. So... That's quite a a tricky thing, which means that polling is a more difficult thing than it's been in the past. For other elections, like local government elections, the turnout's lower. It's sort of 30 to 40% in those. Joel, have you got a question? Uh, Yeah, um, it's an obvious one, because we have have tests for things before you can do things. You have exams and things like that. People have said this before. Why isn't there a test to be able to vote? As in like a really basic, I mean, just literally like you have to be this high to ride this ride kind of the thing outside the, the polling office where you have to be able to tell the difference between, like, say, the, uh, the prime minister and a picture of a traffic light just to weed out people who genuinely have no like interest in politics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tick the boxes that have got a car in them? That, <laughs> when I want to buy something or sign up for a website, I'm tested quite rigorously. I find those quite hard. But I can just walk into a polling station because they put a piece of paper through my door. Yeah, I've got a certain amount of sympathy for that. But <laughs> it hasn't been the policy sort of in Britain, at least since 1928 when women and men got the vote on the same I'm terms. fine about women and men having it. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with the universal Thanks. suffrage in theory. <laughs> it's just, do you know what you're doing in there? Um, well, one of the things that 
is a problem with this is that in the American South, under the semi-apartheid Jim Crow system, they had education tests and and so on. And white people would um, get an education test or sort of put your tick in a box before you're allowed to vote or kind of name two states of the USA. And the black voters would get a different ballot paper, which had some complicated mathematical equations on it. So it wasn't the same test for everyone. And it's just one of these things we it's kind of the rule of large numbers, the the (laughs) idea that the stupid people will cancel out on each side. And it's also not for kind of the state to say your vote is cast for a really stupid reason. It's kind of something that belongs to you, to every individual as part of the sort of dignity of being an adult citizen. Did you have a question, sir? Yes, this is the the most childlike question of all. How come in a country of many million people, (laughs) if more of them vote for a thing than the other, how come that isn't how we decide what won an election? Like the number, like it's not based on the number of votes by individuals, it's based on areas. Well, there are electoral systems that do work that way. Mm. The presidency of France elections for that work that way. Lucky sods. (laughs) Whereas in Britain, we do have this very old system of carving the country up into little Mm. districts. And the idea was that the MP represents their district, their constituency, and takes that constituency's concerns and wishes to Parliament and represents it there. We had representation of places before we had any kind of real democracy as far as people were concerned. So it's just the way the system has, has evolved. Other countries do it differently and they have a combination of nationally representative mm-hmm. outcome and district-based things. So you've got a bit of a blend of the two of them. Mm. So it's a bit like our sort of public transport system when people say, why is our one rubbish? Because you know, it was the first. Yeah, yeah. We mm-hmm. were trying it out. <clears throat> I, had, I had a question related to that, which I was saying that I remember hearing that we had constituencies because it was hard to travel. So basically, we were basically yeah. sending a village elder on horseback to exactly. the, the, yeah. the centre thing. Yeah. Now we don't have that. Now we have the internet. We can communicate mm-hmm. immediately. Is there a case for getting rid of geographical representation and replacing it by representing your views? So there'd be a, an MP for people who like Frasier, <laughs> an MP for people who, who, who like salt and vinegar crisps, an MP for people who like cheese and onion crisps, because I'd like someone to represent my views, but I don't feel that that's necessarily where I live. I think there's something to be said for that. We have that on the London Assembly to some extent. We've got these kind of 11 members who are elected by sort of London as a whole and they kind of choose what they're most interested in. So in a sense, you can kind of get that. And I I do sympathise. I mean, there is this idea that representation is about geography and it's not necessarily so. It's the way our system has grown up. And there is also some sense, if you want to have a meeting with your MP, for instance, it is quite useful if they're near you rather than if your sort of salt and vinegar eating crisp <laughs> yeah. pervert MP kind of lives in the Inverness or whatever. If you live in Plymouth, it's quite difficult to have a chat. Because there are a bunch yeah. of people who are sort of really sort of beating a drum and saying, why can't I vote for the SNP because I live in London? I thought, well, of course you can't vote for an SNP. But then I thought, why can't you vote for the SNP? Well, it's it's been done before because there was a... After Ireland became independent or became a free state in 1922, there was still an Irish nationalist MP who sat for a constituency in Liverpool. So it can be done. See, what would be interesting is if the SNP sent a candidate to where you live, yeah. then you could vote for them. Are yeah. you allowed to do that? Could the SNP run in... Where, whereabouts do you live? I live in uh, North London, in Walthamstow. In Walthamstow. Are they allowed to do that? There's nothing at all to stop them. They should no. do that. 
Well, because I, I was going to ask you about this, because there are, there are maverick MPs, because the party system gets very binary. Mm. What is there to stop MPs who say, because they are at the moment disagreeing with each other and everything on party lines, just completely atomising? Um, and my MP in Walthamstow, I only found out recently, isn't a Labour MP. She's a cooperative party MP mm-hmm. who have an alliance with Labour. And I thought, as Labour was splitting, I thought, I wonder if you're going to walk. Oh. And I, it's, there are apparently the third largest party mm-hmm. in Parliament is the cooperative party, who I'd never heard I've of. I've never heard of yeah. them. And oh, was my like, God. We want a third party. Yeah. And you went, there is one. But I had no, And I suddenly thought, that made me think, what is there to stop the parties just immediately going, we've had enough of this, and atomising? The forces that keep them together are about... It's about elections. I mean, the party does a lot for you at election time. If you're right. an MP, you can win election on the basis of which party you are in a lot of places. Your individual... Just by habit. People yeah. always vote Labour, they always yeah. vote That's or, the, the safe seats. So. Yeah, or if people sort of vote Labour or Conservative because of the national campaign and what they think about the leaders and so right. on, there's a limit to how much you can affect the vote yourself. You can at the edges, but it's mostly about the label you wear. Some MPs can survive if they go independent and stand for elections, but they tend to be the exceptions. I think it's possible we are moving towards a time when parties are kind of breaking down a bit more than they used to be. And that sort of the cooperative party, for instance, it is, it's kind of in close alliance with Labour. It's like a sort of, I don't know, sorry, I was about to use a metaphor of parasitism, but it is, <laughs> it is, it is not a parasitic organism, organism on Labour. Is it like a plate fungus on the side of the tree? <laughs> that sort of thing, yes. Do um, be, do like a bird picking a hippo's tooth? Yeah. Like they need yeah. each other? Yeah. Yeah. on the nose of a shark. <laughs> So we've been talking about first past the post, that is our system. The other systems that get talked about are uh, alternative vote, AV, or proportional representation, which is worse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm no fan of the way we do things. I think first past the post is a pretty crude and rubbish system. To ask a really stupid question, it's got nothing to do with things actually being first past the post, is it? No. The speed of the competition. It sounds like a racing racing term. It's like the first person to vote wins. That's what it sounds like. Where they're really rapidly counting. Those votes. Yeah, you see those women in a bottle. Yeah, always win? <laughs> the country will be governed once again by Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's nothing to do. It is. It's a. It's a, just a metaphor. Just a, just a from, phrase. It's a metaphor yeah. from horse racing yeah. that it's the one horse wins the race and it's the horse oh, the that comes the in ahead of all okay, the other right. ones. Got so that's where it comes from. It's just you vote with an X, they count up how many X's each candidate mm-hmm. has, the one candidate with the most X's wins the election. Mm-hmm. AV is a bit different, alternative vote. You've still got the same thing, one constituency, one MP, but instead of voting with an X, you say one for your favourite, two for your next favourite, and basically if your favourite candidate gets knocked out, say if you're a Green or a Liberal Democrat or a UKIP supporter, more or less anywhere, your candidate is not going to be one of the top two. But you can ha- you can choose between the top two. That's sort of how it works. Okay. I think it's a slight improvement on what we've got, but only very slight. And PR is a system, it's a generic, general name for any kind of system that seeks to try and link directly the number of MPs to the share of the vote. A PR system has the property where if a party gets about 40% of the vote, Mm -hmm. it gets about 40% of the seats, which our current system doesn't really do. No, You wouldn't want that. It sounds too sane. 
it's 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 sane and sensible. But yeah. under <laughs> that system, wouldn't UKIP have won a lot? They'd have had MPs, wouldn't they, in the last couple of elections because they had a, a, a large share of the vote, but it was spread across different constituencies. That's right. Yeah, they got over ten percent of the vote, so they'd probably get around ten percent of the seats. So but there'd that, be a gang of fifty or sixty UKIP. I don't but like that, it. But, but no, the problem <laughs> peculiar is that that point of view that UKIP were espousing was the point of view of almost everyone I met. Yeah. And it was certainly the view of everyone I, I sort of met at a Boxing Day dinner with my family. And yet they had no MPs. And he thought what was weird about the country is that it had no representation for what appeared to be the leader column of the biggest paper in the yeah. country had that point of view. But the weird thing about AV is, because we had a vote on that a few years ago, <laughs> but I sort of think that's a, that was a dream because no one yeah. seems to remember it, uh, do they? Like no. I- I wrote a book about that <laughs> referendum and nobody bought it. Yeah, they, I mean, if was that, it a referendum? If that had gone the other way, would we be in a completely different oh world? Oh, goodness. Is this like the Milliverse all over again? <laughs> if the right Milliband, wrong Milliband, yeah. depending on... Yeah, no, the, the Milliverse is if he hadn't eaten the bacon sandwich, where would we be now? Uh, OK. <laughs> yeah, because um, I, I know... I Like, my family do not remember that AV referendum. Like, they don't remember it. it was too boring. <laughs> yeah, because it was yeah, too basically. Boring. I'm an electro- electoral systems kind of anorak and... I found that referendum campaign boring. <laughs> so, my goodness. I suspect what would have... The kind of branching off from that would probably have meant the Clegg Cameron coalition would have had another term. Oh, Which is what, what Cameron was banking on anyway. Yep. <laughs> right, that's why we're here. Hello. Thank you for downloading Any Stupid Questions. Uh, we hope that you enjoy this podcast. And if you do, it would be absolutely brilliant if you could go on iTunes and rate and review us nice rating and reviews I mean if you've really hated it then don't feel you need to tell anybody but um, if you did like it five stars and telling your best friends would be very helpful thank you hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Why don't we have a system like, I think it's Australia, isn't it, where you have to vote? Mm. Why don't we have that? That seems to make sense. I'm in favour of it myself. Because I think one of the problems with the way elections go is the groups who turn out and vote get stuff from the parties. The parties will give them things in manifestos. Like you get sort of a television licence if you're over 75 and all that. Old people vote and they get stuff from the government. Yes. Mm. Young people don't vote. 
generally and they get stuffed. And I mean, they, they get, get tuition, uh, student, fees. tuition fees and so on. Yeah. And rubbish housing and all this sort of thing. So to me, compulsory voting would even up the, the dialogue a bit. I think also it's quite good that it's a bit of civic duty. There's not much that binds us together as a society and a nation. It's taking part in a little kind of ritual in favour of democracy. And all it involves is marking a little X on a piece of paper, not sacrificing a goat. So I think it's a, I think it's a kind of ritual. Going to a school that, near your house. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's warm in there. You go and see sugar paper for the first time in years. Oh, yeah, fantastic. You'll be able to text it in soon and then... You know, um, then the kids will be happy. That was a question I was going to ask. Is that, like, considering how foolproof the tiny pencil system seems to be, is there any danger of it being replaced by a computer that could be hacked? Yes. Um, some countries have this, and usually it works okay. It depends on the level of trust in the society. The Netherlands has had it for years, mm. and there's no problems there. But... Often people don't trust the system in the United States, yeah. for instance. They need to see those ladies emptying the big metal boxes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it do. gives me a sense yeah. of confidence yeah. about... Oh, uh, you can't hack a pencil. <laughs> and, and, uh, Top ten pencil hacks. Yeah. <laughs> I have a T-shirt that said that. <laughs> um, and I think given the vulnerabilities of systems, as yeah. we've seen, that it would be... To my mind, foolish to go over to something that at least didn't at least have a paper backup. What's fascinating isn't like voter fraud is really, really low. Yeah. And yeah, it seems like it would be very <clears throat> easy to do. Are we just very honest? Well, we assume everyone's honest. It is actually quite easy to to do voter fraud, but there's very little evidence that anyone does it. Um, there are that's very few... how easy it is to do. <laughs> no one even notices. No <laughs> um, what usually happens if somebody is defrauding an election, they either make up people to put on the register and then harvest their, their votes, or they sort of know which people never vote or whatever mm. and vote on their behalf. Those are the commonest types. And in a way, it's... It usually happens only when there's a sort of... low local councillor who's crooked who wants to make sure they win it doesn't really happen much on a parliamentary level because what happens is is that they because the officials check stuff off against the the register if somebody had fraudulently cast my vote mm. i'd notice when i went to the yeah. polling yeah. station i say look something has gone wrong here yeah are there easier ways to affect the government of country like owning a newspaper oh yeah i'd yeah. definitely go that route yeah, on a bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just sending really really inflammatory gifs to yeah. certain people on absolutely Facebook. Yeah. you don't need yeah. to mess around with sort of post boxes and things no. to no. Uh... i mean like i've people have tried to defraud <laughs> me in the last election they'd come round to my house and they'd try and tell me who to vote for <laughs> like, i know your game <laughs> at what level does my vote have most power is it on a local council level is it on the constituency level is it on the general election where where have i got most power as a voter well the people who you vote for are most powerful at the mp level. okay on the other hand the chances are you probably live somewhere in a safe seat so your one vote will not make any difference to the result so the person you elect has more power but you individually don't mm -hmm. now probably when you get down to a local council level the individual vote you have has more power you can do more to change a result at local council level. If you talk to several of your friends and so on and you all agree about something and... And you bundle someone in a van. No, yeah. sorry. You <laughs> so you all vote in this. Yeah, so you, you could... But the thing is, your councillor doesn't have a lot of power because councils don't have much money to spend. Yeah. Councillors, on the other hand, can affect 
stuff that happens in your locality. Often the things that you notice from day to day, like, um, I don't know, in my street, for instance, there were problems with what's called antisocial behaviour, which is often excessively social behaviour of people sort of getting <laughs> drunk and shouting the odds <laughs> late at night. And there were sort of issues about establishments in the street. And councillors could do something about that. So sometimes the stuff that makes a difference to your daily life councillors can do something about and you've got real leverage over them but it's understandable why a lot of people feel that Westminster is really remote because as an individual voter your power is pretty limited. Tell you what, I don't remember ever voting in a European election. I don't think I've ever done that. They were all ta- always tagged onto the end of council mm. elections, I think. When they, well, they, they get that other piece of paper. and stuff, weren't you? Yeah. 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 And you sort of t- yes, it's really odd. Yeah. It's really strange that everyone got obsessed with the idea that Europe had too much influence, but I don't think I'd had any influence on Europe. No. I, I certainly not seem to... It didn't seem to interfere with me, even to the extent of asking me to vote for it very much. <laughs> Did they used to be... I mean, this is, this is why Brexit's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I don't... Like, were there European election campaigns? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't remember um, these. They were pretty perfunctory, really, in Britain. What used to happen is that because of this equal time thing in the broadcasters, uh, course, yeah. you would get Nigel Farage popping up everywhere. everywhere. So in the Euro elections... Well, that's where in, that started. It is. We can blame balance and proportional representation <laughs> and all these sensible ideas for the for unleashing the demon that is, is no. Nigel Farage. Because... 2009, 2014 European campaigns, that meant he got extra sort of equal time. So he was able to put his argument in a way that he couldn't normally as leader of a minor party. I mean, it was only him and the two largest newspapers in the country that were saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the voice was heard. If one of the problems with our electoral system is that old people have disproportionate power because they vote, would a way to shake that up be to lower the age of voting? To bring in a, a, a rush of excitement about young people voting. Will that balance it up? And then how young should we go? Because I'm thinking really young. <laughs> the usual proposal is to lower it to 16. And they do that in Scotland for local elections and stuff like that. So the number of people involved is fairly low. And young people, they don't turn out a huge amount either. So it wouldn't be a kind of dramatic effect. Now, one thing that I saw had which would be really interesting is young people who wanted to could register to vote from the age of, say, 10 onwards. Oh. So that you'd have to actually go out expressly and want to do it. All those young Conservatives. Oh, and that's... Oh. <laughs> they get young Greens. Oh. I think it would be... Fun. Tiny baby Jeremy Corbyn. Oh. <laughs> people, people in debating societies. I love that old footage of William Hague, though. Oh, yeah, and his baseball cap. Yeah. Do you think there should be a maximum age limit on voters? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would be tempted, were it not... 46. 46, that's a... Well, 48. That would be a very good... I speak as a 47-year-old. I'm older than that. I've just had enough. (laughs) (laughs) The really old people... The thing I love about sort of really old people is that they have a sort of clarity of vision and and so on that is given to very few of us. Like the village elders. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like... I don't know. 
I've accepted a lift in a, a, an old car, for instance, from a guy who was 90 and had terminal cancer. And I learned so much from that fellow, even though it was absolutely terrifying being in this car <laughs> with him. It was Prince um, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> and as we turned over and over, I thought, I learned a lot. I nearly killed a kid. Was... I learned a lot about not getting to a car with a 90 <laughs> But as far as we know, people who are really old, the people who actually did serve in the Second right. World War, rather than kind yeah. of boasting have, about have it. fantasies about it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, People who didn't buy pretty good. Ones. Yeah, people yeah. who didn't buy Battle Picture Weekly. So. <laughs> can I ask a question? I don't know if it's hugely relevant to the conversation, but it's all I can think about at the moment. Are we likely to have a second referendum? Um, Does it feel like one's going to happen? It feels to me like a one in three kind of shot. Whoa. <laughs> what are the other two? What's the other six? The other two, I th- plunging into the sun. <laughs> plunging into the sun. <laughs> I think plunging into the sun is reasonably possible. Right. Okay. Um, Good. And the other possibility, I think, is probably something that looks a bit like Theresa May's agreement, but has the more. Thing. Yeah, right. the checkers thing, the withdrawal agreement, perhaps with a bit more kind of customs union. And uh-huh. so on, something a bit closer to. So already, it just it's too complicated. We need sexy binaries. We want flying yeah. into the sun or referendum. That, uh, yeah, that, yeah. So that's that's the whole the whole custom. You that surely everybody's going to go. There's no point, right? This is just, you know... That's just not Brexit. Just a rulemaker. Isn't the problem, as you said, as soon as as you've got... You can't undo a binary decision. Yeah. With a, ter- with a three-way decision because yeah. it doesn't feel like it's got the force of it. And every time I try and think about a second referendum, I go, well, there has to be three choices. Yeah. And then you go, well, then people can argue. The whole reason you're doing it is to try and undo something with something that's exactly the same. Yeah. But the second time round, there can't be two choices. Yeah. At which point you go, oh, God, it's like nine-dimensional chess. I mean, it's like you've got this let's plunge into the sun option. Yeah. So, and so plunge into the sun uh, being a metaphor for... For sort of... I literally meant plunge into the sun. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. No and deal Brexit, right? Yeah, no deal Brexit. And the risk is, of course, I mean, I kind of feel that a government would be within its rights to say that's a bloody stupid idea. Mm-hmm. Let's have nothing to do with it. Rule it out, put yeah, it across the table. Officially, aren't they voted in to look after the interests of they the people? They are. That is the mm. general kind of overwhelming, overall kind of mission statement of being an MP and being a government. It's really weird when your MP is David Lammy to have any kind of I know, right, everyone moved to Tottenham. <laughs> literally the safest Labour seat in the country. I, the, when the Conservatives campaign in Tottenham, the poster is literally a tree. They don't put the word Conservative anywhere on the poster. It's just a little tiny picture of a tree, like, vote for the tree party. Yeah. David Lamy's amazing. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Bias. <laughs> um, where was I? Sorry. Um, we were talking about MPs. It... Oh, MPs yes. are meant to represent your best interest, which is obviously... Mm. But, yeah. So let's say they couldn't yeah. vote no deal because it'd be damaging. Yeah, yeah that would be damaging the, for the, constituents, but, yeah. But on the other hand, it is a position that has is part of the debate, like it or not, and it would be kind of ballsy to kind of take it off the agenda. Mm. So it's a problem. If you give the opportunity for people to crash something into the sun, they may just do it out yeah. of perversity. Well, it seemed to be yeah. a lot of the impulse. Whenever you heard arguments about why Brexit had happened, the general, I mean, having read endless articles about it, I've heard loads of articles mm. from, from one side about why it's a terrible idea, but the articles about why it happened tended to be people wanted to push a big red button. Mm. People wanted to kick David Cameron out the window. Weirdly, 
the phrase no deal and all those things, put on the ballot paper, would you like to push the red, big red button and blow up the country because you're not getting anything? That feels like it would get a lot of votes. Yeah, if you've got yeah. nothing to lose, yeah. the nothing to lose button is quite tempting, yeah. I have mm. to like confess, when the, the campaign was going round, it crossed my mind to vote Brexit because it felt like sticking it to Westminster, yeah. who after like what it would have been six years of austerity you start going yeah yeah screw these dicks I well, mean, the, I the, didn't. the people who were arguing for it were politicians economists bankers the city of london you went they're the best people everyone likes them yeah it was really weird that people turned against them because <laughs> they're the beloved everyone you know in mary poppins she comes and tells the banker he's doing a brilliant job and everyone loves it. That, they're britain's favorite people and they said don't do it so it's really weird people didn't do what they said they take the day off feeding pigeons to do some banking yeah, yeah it's great yeah. Is it? Is it true? I'm thinking about how we make politics sexier for the kids to get interested in and voting. Um, how, is it true you can't take a selfie in a voting booth? I believe that's true, but it's it's unenforced. <laughs> Why um, don't we bring it in, put in really nice ring lighting, yeah. some props... They dress up some cactuses that kind of fun stuff that well, they like in the photo booths and yeah, yeah well I'm about to admit my complicity in an electoral offence <gasps> oh yeah. right. um, about time we can all <laughs> in, in the mid 70s my mum took me along to a to, well she was going to vote and I think it was a it's a childcare yeah. thing rather than kind of giving me a kind of dip into democracy. She took me into the voting booth, and that was illegal then. Oh, is it? Really? Whereas it is legal oh, now. Oh, right. Oh, it has oh, been changed, yeah. I understand, so that it is now OK to take kids into... I've let a... my kid put the cross, but then David Lammy... That might be illegal. I've <laughs> 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 got time for one more oh, quick question each. So if you have anything you would like to ask, the stupider the better. When candidates stand in that row on the hustings, waiting for the results to <laughs> read out, looking like prats. Yeah. Do they already know they've lost? Yes. yes. Oh, that makes it more agonising. I It is the sort of poker face kind of thing. Whoa. And also for They're the people good. who've won, they are good. Like, I remember one election, there was a Labour MP for a marginal seat, and I was sort of looking at his face, and he looked really grim. He looked as if he'd had a rubbish, rubbish, rubbish result. And... Then when the result was read out, his face sort of cracked into this beam when he turned out he'd actually held the seat again. And it is an amazing feat. And if you look at the sort of classic footage from 1997 of Stephen Twigg and Michael Portillo standing on that stage, they both kind of had to hold the kind of poker face for so long. And then famously, Stevens just sort of oh, cracks beams. and beams. That's going to make the next election so much yeah. more fun to watch. Yeah. Be, oh, who, who, it's like drag who? race when they take three endings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way too specific. <laughs> do you have a, a I, I, I want to go back to how do we make voting appeal to young people. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, I can't believe, when you look at like a march, like at the Trump march and mm. the, the women's march, it's just young people with amazing signs and banners and they feel like they're hugely political. The young, <laughs> the and young they don't ones. get in the polling. But if things. they don't vote, what? what mm. they, they like have... choosing things. They like sort of thumbs up and thumbs down oh, things all the time. Binary yeah. decisions. They love, they'll do a vote on Metro to which Sex and City character they're most yeah. like. Yeah, but how do we make mm. them? Maybe you do that in Metro. Which poly, which prime minister are you most <laughs> like? And that is then legally binding. Um, Genuinely, how do we make the young? I'm vote? my big suggestion mm. for this is is the one that came up earlier, right? I just force people to vote, oh, and yeah, they'd man. find yeah. they'd find ways of liking it. When an experience is <laughs> when an experience when an experience is compulsory, yeah, yeah. you make the best of it, and mm. you actually often people take an interest and and do it yeah. feel they want to do it well. But there is a problem here. We've got um, voting is a really kind of 
individual, non-networked sort of act, and it's a very low-tech act. Both of the, neither of these things really go with the grain. Mm. That people want to experience things in a sort of collective network kind of way, and you don't really get that by voting.、Mm. And there are very good reasons why you don't, because you don't want to be pressurised by sort of I don't know a dominant patriarch or whatever in a、mm. family or anything like that. It has to be individual. It has to come from within you, and you're banned from kind of obviously sharing selfies and whatever、yeah. about how you've done it. So, I think it's a I think it's a problem with democracy. It's not. It's not an easy problem to solve by any means. So I would just go straight for the make it compulsory. People will participate and like it, or people will really kick up and react against it,、oh, and be very eloquent with their reasons for why they don't want to do it. Yeah,、um, and they might have to vote against it. Yeah. That would be yeah. yeah. But also, I mean, like if you, compulsory voting, I'm all for it as long as you can have a, a you know none、no、of the above. Yeah, yeah, or do yeah. whatever you want, or you know draw a knob on the draw、yeah. a knob. The danger with that though is if you draw a knob by a specific candidate,、uh, it could be counted as a vote.、Oh. And if that candidate is a knob, oh, I think well, you can say hey. I've just labelled John Redbird. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that the risk voting for him. I mean, there's all sorts of. One of the things they do at election counts is they all the candidates and agents get together and look at all the. Dubious ballot papers, ones with sort of knobs or symbols or whatever drawn on them. What a lovely.、Talk. And my favourite one of these is a friend of mine was standing for election, and he、uh, there was one of the doubtful ballot papers that said. I am voting for this bastard,、hmm. and there was an arrow pointing to his name. And the returning officer said, "I think that's a vote for him." And if I may say so, a very perspicacious elector is. <laughs> <laughs> I have one final question、uh, for you, Lewis, as an expert、mm-hmm. on elections.、Yep. Who is the worst ever Prime Minister of Great Britain? <laughs> Are we allowed to use current ones or not? I think it's entirely your、Ooh. choice. I think. I mean, to some extent, how. Are they people who who couldn't run a bath? Is one <laughs> definition. Are they people who screwed up the country? Is another kind of definition. I mean, there's lots of definitions、um, of a bad prime minister. Yeah, I would say the real candidates are Anthony Eden, who took office 1955. Everything was kind of going well. He had an unnecessary war, and it was all a complete fiasco. And he had to resign in disgrace a year and a half later. That was bad. There was. A guy called Viscount Goodrich, who was Prime Minister in the 1820s for a few months, who was pathologically incapable of making a decision, and in fact used to used to burst into tears rather than make a decision. I like this guy.、Um, yeah. My favourite. So、oh, yeah. he eventually can we get him back? Snowflake. I take him right now. He eventually resigned, I think, because he was sick of it. Because the King would say one thing and the Parliament would say the other,、oh, and he just sort of stopped crying. Canada, I want it.、Um, 1828 and 27, and. I, I think you have to say that Theresa May is、wow. pretty well up there, in, in my opinion. I'm sure she has many people who admire her, but to where, <laughs> where but, are they hiding? But to actually take office with the task of binding the nation together after a referendum, to make it worse, to be ahead in the polls by twenty points and then lose your majority,、mm-hmm. to have twenty-four months to complete a task and then. Get a fail grade when you hand in your papers with hardly any time to go.、Um, I think it's going to take a lot of beating. Holy moly! Amazing times we live in.、Amazing. Well, thank you all very much, and、um, thanks to Lewis Baston, Sarah Morgan, and Joel Morris. Any stupid questions was devised and hosted by me, Danielle Ward, and produced by Ed Morris for the internet. Thank you very much for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.